Father, thank you for your word this morning. May it give us light to live. Please, would you give us fresh confidence in Jesus? Fresh confidence uh, in the need to understand who he is and what he's done. And fresh confidence, too, about what you're doing in the world today so that we might speak to others about him. For his glory we pray. Amen. Well, we've been in Acts for a while now, and I thought we would just do a quick recap um, to catch us up in terms of what's happened in the first seven chapters. We're not going line by line. It's going to be very, very quick. So previously in Acts, written by Luke, the author of Luke's gospel, telling us what happened after Jesus died and rose again and met with his disciples to tell them what their task would be and how they were to take the good news about Jesus into the world with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been seeing in this opening section of Acts. We're seeing how God is doing that in the world, how the good news about Jesus is starting to spread, how he's using those who witnessed the events in Jerusalem to be the first people to speak about Jesus and say, he died, but he's risen. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And just as Jesus promised his disciples, it is happening. Starting in Jerusalem, in chapter 1, he said the news would go from Jerusalem to Judea and into Samaria. And at the start of chapter 8, if you glance down, you can see the headings help us to see that the good news has now arrived in Samaria. Taken there not by one of the apostles, one of the original disciples, but by Philip, an ordinary Christian helped by the Holy Spirit to speak about Jesus. Jesus promised that it would then go from Samaria to the ends of the earth. And in chapter 8, we, we see how Christians are now facing persecution. The headings in the Bibles aren't always completely reliable and accurate, but these ones are quite good. You see in bold there, the church persecuted and scattered. And it seems that is God's means of getting the message out. And so Philip is in Samaria, verses 4 to 8, and there, there are mighty signs and miracles as he talks about Jesus. And many people believe in verse 8, there's great joy in the city. And we're also told, we were also heard last week that there was an individual called Simon, the sorcerer. In verses 9 to 13, we hear about how many people in the city used to follow him, but that he was converted by Philip's preaching, and he decided to follow Jesus. Verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. He followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, in the first half of the chapter, signs and miracles are mentioned quite a lot. If you were reading this for the first time, you would well ask, what is going on here? What's this all about? 
Have they just bought into a new trend or sect? They've left Simon the sorcerer, and now they've bought into what Philip is peddling. And certainly later in Acts, that accusation of Christianity just being a sect, one of many, is, is answered and refuted. But you can see how just in these opening verses of chapter 8, that could be a concern for somebody looking in. And even today, looking into Christianity, you might just want to understand and be wise to understand what it's all about. There's something in it, but what? How can I find out more? In the midst of all this persecution, people are still believing. In the midst of people being scattered, new people are turning to follow Jesus. In chapter 8, is this happening because of the signs and wonders and miracles? Is that how people are coming to faith in Jesus? It does seem to be part of it at the start of chapter 8. But actually, the second half of chapter 8 shows us what we ought to be confident in today if we want to see people coming to faith in Jesus. The second half of chapter 8 is actually saying it's not about signs and wonders. That is not where the power is. It's about something else. And so if we are those who are following Jesus and understanding the call to tell others about Jesus, we need to know what we should have confidence in. And there's two things I want us to see this morning. The first is this. God opened a door. That's my first heading on the sheet in my notes here. God opened a door. These verses in chapter 8 that Abby read to us earlier, they are to help us recognize God's hand at work in two lives, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It starts in verse 26 when an angel, a messenger from God, tells Philip to go to a new place. This is surprising because Philip is suddenly directed away from where it seems to be all the action is in the city. And he's told to go where? The desert road. doesn't sound that promising. Philip might have thought, I'm needed here in the city. There's lots to do. Go to the desert road, says God. To the desert road. That's the first surprise here. But there we see that he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. And as we read about him, we can sense hints about God's work in his life. So he has just returned from worshiping in Jerusalem. Verse 27 finishes, the man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we don't know if he was either born a Jew or whether he converted to Judaism. But this man who's described as a, a, a chief, a, a treasury chief in an important job, shows real desire to be worshiping in Jerusalem. 
The, the journey may have taken five months by cart or chariot each way. It's most of your year. He has used whatever wealth he has to purchase an Old Testament scroll, which would have been precious and expensive. There is something of a real desire in this man to worship. This man represents someone from the ends of the earth, not Ethiopia as we understand it today, but, but rather modern-day Sudan next to Egypt. But outside Samaria, here is someone coming from the ends of the earth. He represents a foreigner, and as a eunuch, he would have if he was worshipping in Jerusalem, he would have been restricted by Old Testament law to one of the outer courts in the temple, excluded by the Old Testament from being part of God's people, but with a clear desire to worship. And now we see that God brings Philip alongside this Ethiopian eunuch, and a conversation starts. Conversation starts in verse 30, and then a door literally opens if the chariot had doors, and now he's sitting beside him discussing Isaiah. Come on! If only this is how it was. But maybe sometimes you have been in a conversation where you have just sensed things opening up and falling into place, and it's because, not because of anything that you have done, it's because God has opened a door in a conversation alongside someone. If we could get a different perspective this, on this journey and this meeting, this encounter, it would be from Google Earth. And it would be a sort of fun sort of game to see Philip, one dot, one color, Ethiopian unit, one dot, one color, and watch them track across, bingo, they meet. That that is showing us what God does. It made me think about who has traveled far in our church family to know about Jesus. And I think the furthest I could think of was our caretaker, Moses, being brought from Iran to Hampstead, 3,000 miles, to hear about Jesus. A real-life example of what God does in our midst, working in individuals, to put people together so that they hear about Jesus. The church where I grew up, we uh, would uh, once a year visit a section of the parish. And before we would go visiting, letters would go out to the people in those homes. And, uh, and then visitors would go out um, after much prayer, scary thing. You go and you knock on doors. My mom and dad uh, knocked on a door one evening, and uh, a couple there, Jimmy and Kathy, elderly couple, retired miner and his wife, opened the door and said, 
come in. We've been waiting for you. We've got lots of questions. Come in. God is the great evangelist. He is the one who is at work in his world today, and we've been showing that in these verses on a desert road in the middle of nowhere. He's doing this still today to the ends of the earth, but we don't expect it. A friend told me that at the end of her Bible reading notes, it had said one morning, pray for an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. And she just literally said to herself, that'll never happen. I'm working at home today. I won't be out and about at all. I'm not going to see anyone. She prayed the prayer anyway. Of course, later that day, she found herself having to go unexpectedly to the newsagent. She knew the shopkeeper, a Hindu man, and he said to her, it's Easter next week. You're a Christian. Why is Good Friday called Good Friday? Come on. God opened a door. But often I find myself thinking, wherever I am, that will never happen. I think it's easy to think that way, don't you? about where we are, to think about our street or our office or our classroom as being a desert road. Ain't nothing happening here. It's just a desert road. And yet, often, we're surrounded by people. The commute, the travel, the journey, a desert road is a desert road. Nothing's going to happen. But these verses say God took Philip to the desert road because he was going to make something happen with someone from the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth means anyone, anyone we're meeting, anyone we're passing. It's easy to think about the places we are and conclude nothing is going to happen, to be ground down into zero expectancy. It's not going to happen. The people were with, no, not that person, no, not that person, decided before anything's even discussed. Now, even if we don't know any Ethiopian eunuchs, there's something here for us to grasp hold of and to be confident about that this is how God works, that this is what God is still doing. To, to be encouraged from these verses about his great power to bring about opportunities. And that doesn't mean, leave it to God, I don't need to do anything. Rather, because he is all-powerful and able to do this, we pray confidently asking him to open doors in our classroom, in our office, on our commute, in these desert places. We pray and ask him to open doors in conversation and to see every meeting, to help us to see every meeting as an opportunity. 
these verses show that God is the great evangelist committed to reaching individuals through his people. That's the first thing. God opens the door. The second thing, how will people come to follow Jesus? Philip opened his mouth. Look down at verse 35 and see this. Philip opened his mouth. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, what we need to be ready to do is when the opportunity comes, we need to be with the Holy Spirit's help, trying to talk about Jesus. And that is terrifying. I don't know why I'm smiling. I'm just nervous. That is terrifying, trying to bring Jesus into a conversation. So comfortable talking about my church, Christianity, but bringing Jesus into the conversation. Rico Tice says, there is a pain barrier there that we need to go through and ask God's help to get through in conversation to talk about Jesus when we recognize God opening a door. Often we think, I'll muck it up. I'm just not going to say anything. Or we decide for the person they don't want to know. But with the Holy Spirit as our helper, this is what God wants. We've got another real-life version of this exact thing that we heard about recently in a baptism service when Richard stood here at the front and gave his testimony about how God had got him starting reading his Bible at home in private and wanting to know more and to answer, have questions answered, and that he was put together by coming here to meet Tom and sitting down, they started to talk about Jesus, and Richard believed and was baptized. Verses 32 to 33 here are taken from the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus. And this section comes from a section of songs called the Servant Songs. Our second reading was from the end of that section, and if you were listening carefully, you would have heard it mention eunuchs, and foreigners being brought in to God's people through the work of the servant. And so now the Ethiopian eunuch is reading just before that, and he doesn't understand who is being talked about. Let's look at the words in verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. These verses are talking about the promised servant who would be led, silent, humiliated, deprived of justice. The man is struggling to understand. It's about someone who went to an unjust death silently. It's about someone who was being punished for others' wrongdoing. 
And from these verses, Philip is able to tell him it's talking about Jesus. That's what they had seen fulfilled in Jerusalem that first Good Friday on the cross. The prophet was prophesying about that day, and now they've witnessed it, and they know that Jesus is risen. Philip opened his mouth to speak of what he had seen and what he knew. He uses the Bible to tell them what he knows about Jesus. Here is Philip, with the help of the Holy Spirit, being a witness to the ends of the earth, doing exactly what the others before him in Acts have been doing, nothing different. Peter, John, Stephen, speaking about Jesus, being crucified, but now alive. And Luke wants us to see that that is how this eunuch was converted, because he records very quickly that the man believed, was baptized, and went home rejoicing, a genuine convert. No miracles, no powers, no other signs on this desert road in isolation. It's because the Scriptures were opened, and they pointed him to Jesus. Now, it would be so much easier for our evangelistic efforts, wouldn't it, if everybody we met on the train was reading Isaiah 53. I don't think this means that we need to start in Isaiah with every single person we meet, even if they've got questions. Can I just ask you about this thing in Genesis? Genesis is good, but can I just show you Isaiah? Can, can I just ask you this question about the Psalms? Yeah, yeah, Psalms, great, but can I just show you Isaiah 53? I don't think that is where we go with this. I think we listen to what people are saying and we start where they're at. I don't think it means that we try to crowbar Jesus into every single conversation as like an automatic answer or response. That's just going to be weird. <laughs> Scary. But what it means is we must be praying for God's help to speak of Jesus, our crucified Savior. I think it's a confidence thing. I need to tell them about him because only he can save them. You see, they are speaking about the things they were witnesses to, the things that they knew had been fulfilled among them. Now, seeing what they spoke about, that's what we are to speak about to others as well. It's encouraging us to have confidence to do the same with God's help to open our mouths and to keep talking about Jesus. If you're here and you're not yet convinced and following Jesus, trusting in Him, if you're investigating, I would encourage you to understand, to make this the focus of your investigations. To understand what the Bible tells us about Jesus and why we all need him. That is what Jimmy and Kathy did. Over a period of time, they continued to meet with my parents. And after much reading and questions and answers, they decided to follow Jesus. 
and it led to the greatest joy in their lives. It was so obvious any time you met them, chatted with them, or heard them pray. How will people come to follow Jesus? These verses give us confidence about what God is doing. He is the one opening doors. If you sense that, well, pray for that first. And when you sense that, trust him and be ready to speak about Jesus. Let's pray. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Father, please would you strengthen us in the faith. If we are trusting Jesus already, help us to trust and have confidence that the gospel is the power that you have given so that people can be saved. Please help us to have confidence and expectancy that you are working today, wherever we are, to open doors for others to hear of Jesus. Help us to pray to that end. And if we don't yet know why Jesus matters so much, please would you help us to, to find out more, to speak to a Christian, to open your word and to read the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.